Good evening, everyone, and welcome to um, our Good Friday time of, of our gathering and, and uh, taking time to, to just really contemplate and um, honor the, the sacrifice of Jesus. We were just uh, praying before rehearsal earlier and just taking some time to thank God for Jesus humbly choosing to take our sin upon him and take it to the cross. All I know how to do after all these years, all I still know how to do is just say thank you. That's it. And I want to welcome um, our SVC folks and Emmanuel Christian uh, Community Church. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Matt, and I'm the associate pastor here at Solana Valley. And joining me in leading in worship tonight, from Emmanuel Christian is Nico and Rocky and Chris. Thank you very much. It's an honor to serve with you this evening, and I want to invite you to stand as we worship together. Um, and after that, Pastor Gary has a, a message to share. My wife Carolyn's going to be leading in communion a little bit later. And uh, thank you again for being here tonight. On the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, my Jesus set me free. Look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from His side, no greater sacrifice. What He's done. What He's done. What he's done, all the glory and the honor to the Son, my sins are forgiven, my future is heaven, I praise God for what he's done. And we sing, sing. For the freedom he has won, even death is dead and gone, his life is overcome. Speak, say the name of all names, over every broken place, he is risen from the grave. What he's done, what he's done, oh what he's done. My sins are forgiven, my future is heaven, I praise God for what He's done. On the throne, now on the throne of majesty, the Father's will complete. He reigns in victory. 
worship we can bring. Can we sing what he's done? What he's done. Oh, what he's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sin, my sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. Once again, church, what He's done. What He's done. Oh, what He's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God. For what he's done. I praise God for what he's done. Oh, for what he's done. Changed 
before this next song, I want to share a brief passage of scripture with you. And it's from the book of Colossians, chapter one, verses 15 to 17. And it says this, it says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers 
or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is before all, and he is above all. He is uh, supremely, uh, one of the things Pastor Gary likes to say, he is awesomely in charge. And I believe that. And at the same time, he humbly and obediently endured the suffering of the cross. For the joy set before him, the scriptures say, he endured the cross. So in response to this, let's worship with humility and with gratitude. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're You will lay behind the stone. You live to die, rejected and alone, like a rose trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of me above Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Above all Above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. You rejected every like a rose trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought 
set before him, Jesus endured it. He decided that your will would be done. And he did it. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for saving us. And thank you for what Sunday morning represents as well. What happened on Sunday. You are worthy of our worship and our praise. And we Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Awesome. Hey guys, really good to see y'all. Thank you for joining us uh, this evening. Really, really glad you're here. Uh, really, really uh, grateful for Emmanuel Christian Community Church for joining us tonight, and then Solana Valley Church. And yeah, for those of you who are joining through either Facebook or YouTube, we're really glad you're with us as well. Tonight, we are one church. Can I say that? Yeah. Is that all right? We're one church. We have one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have one Father. We have one Spirit. We have one gospel message. And we have one Bible, and we are one church. Uh, and that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, tonight, what I want to do is, much as possible, I want to try to get out of the way and let Scripture speak for itself. So tonight, I'm going to do a lot of Scripture reading. Is that all right? And uh, I want to try to get out of the way. I want to try to let Scripture speak. I will add a little bit of commentary here and there just to try to bring uh, a little bit of um, a little bit of context, a little bit of clarity to different parts of the text. Uh, so bear with me in that part if you don't mind. And uh, I, I want to begin by saying 
uh, that um, that we recently, and when I say we, I'm talking about Solana Valley Church. I know I just said we're one church. I apologize, okay? But we just finished up a series on the first part of the book of Daniel, working through uh, Daniel chapters 1 through 6. And, and it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. And if it's been a while since you've read the book of Daniel, let me just say this. is The point of the book of Daniel is simply this. Our God is awesomely in charge. Can you say awesomely in charge? Our God is awesomely in charge. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. And no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? You know who said that? A pagan king who was just converted. He was just converted. Before this, he did not believe. Every other place in the book of Daniel, he always spoke of God as being the God of Daniel, or the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's amazing because finally what he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven. He doesn't exalt the gods of Babylon. He says, now, now I exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's important for us to understand as we think about Good Friday. Our God is awesomely in charge. Really, our Good Friday message begins in Daniel chapter 7. And I want to just read a short portion for you in Daniel 7. But just so you're aware, this is a vision that Daniel's having. It's about 550 B.C., roughly 550 years before the birth of Jesus. Actually, 552, 553 B.C. It's the first year of Belshazzar, who was at that time king over Babylon, uh, co-regency with his, his father, Nabonidus. And, and he sees this vision, and in this vision, he sees these four beasts that represent four great world empires. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then Rome. And in the middle of all this, in the middle of this vision, the Bible says, uh, verses 13 and 14, Daniel says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Can you say son of man? Thank you, son of man. That is an important title. Daniel says, I saw one like a son of man. Son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven. This is no ordinary son of man. He's coming with the clouds of heaven, the Bible says. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Guess what? His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom, his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Fast forward all the way to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 63. And let me give you a little bit of context here. 
Um, the night before, Jesus had been with his disciples. And one of his disciples, Judas, betrayed him. His other disciples abandoned him. And then Peter, probably his closest friend in the world, uh, denied knowing him. Uh, he was beaten and he was mocked. And he went through a trial that you're not supposed to do because you're not supposed to trial a person, try a person at night, according to Jewish law. But they tried him at night. And then the very next morning, uh, because the Sanhedrin, kind of the high council of the Jews, recognized that what they were doing was wrong. So the very what they do at daybreak, verse 66, at daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, the Sanhedrin, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law met together. And Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, tell us, they said. And Jesus answered. If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated. Who? The Son of Man. The Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. That is a place of authority and dominion. What Jesus says here, there's no misunderstanding. The Jewish leaders, they understood completely. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? And Jesus replied, you say that I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly, the Sanhedrin, rose and they led Jesus off to Pilate, Pontius Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, "What have um, we have found this man subverting our nation. Now that's an important, that's an important accusation against Jesus. See, blasphemy was not a capital crime. The Jews had no authority to kill anyone. The only way that they could have Jesus killed is to have Rome condemn him. Blasphemy was not a capital crime. But subverting the nation was. Now they said, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes the payment of taxes to Caesar. Was that true? No. No, in, in, in Luke 20, Jesus says... Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest in the crowd, I have found no basis for charge against this man. And you can underline that if you've got your Bible with you. That's important. He says, I have found no basis for charge against this man. But they insisted, the Sanhedrin insisted. He stirs up all, uh, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, on hearing that he was from Galilee, uh, on hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. 
when he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, and this would be Herod Antipas or Antipas. Uh, he was the son of uh, Herod the Great, uh, who had these great building projects all over uh, Israel. He was the one who you know, killed all the children in Bethlehem, tried to kill Jesus. Uh, well, Herod Antipas was, was his son, and he ruled from about 4 B.C. until about 38, 39 A.D. And, uh, and, so, um, and so Pilate sends, uh, he sends uh, Jesus to Herod. When Herod saw Jesus, verse 8, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had wanted to see Jesus. From what he had heard about him, he, Herod, hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He's looking for a dog and pony show. He plied Jesus with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing Jesus. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked Jesus. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they, they uh, sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priest, the rulers, and the people, and he said to them, You have brought this man, you brought me this man, as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. That's another phrase worth worth underlining. There is no basis for any charges against him. Verse 15, neither is Herod. For Herod sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Do you see that phrase? That is so important. He hasn't done anything that deserves death. Therefore, Pilate says, I'll punish him and release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. You see that? No grounds. No grounds. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, the Jews insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man, Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one that they had asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As the soldiers led Jesus away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way from the country and had put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed Jesus, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned to them and said, and this is really, this is kind of an interesting little um, 
a few words from Jesus. I want to try to give context to, to this for you, okay? Uh, because what Jesus does is he turns to these women who are mourning and wailing. They are mourning, they are wailing. Are these friends of Jesus? We don't know. Are they professional mourners? We don't know. They may have been. It was very common in their world. But Jesus says to these women, he says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Don't weep for me. See, they're weeping and wailing because they're about to watch a man who has been beaten and pulverized, who has been scourged with a whip, leather, pieces of leather, embedded with rock, embedded with metal, with broken pottery, that was used, and they would beat a condemned man with this whip. Any of y'all see the Passion of the Christ? I remember after the movie, this woman came to me and she said, certainly it wasn't like that. And I told her it was exactly like that. That, that that's what they did. They would, they, they, it would rip flesh. It would rip skin. It would tear away muscle and tendons and ligaments. It would expose even, um, um, sometimes even the intestines. It would just rip and shred a person. Jesus, they're expecting to see Jesus nailed to a cross. And, and for them, this is a horrible thing. It is something worth, certainly, something worth wailing over, mourning over, isn't it? But what Jesus says is he says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Why would they weep for themselves? Why would they weep for themselves? They're not facing the cross. Weep for yourselves, he says, and for your children. Why? The children, their children aren't going to the cross this day. And yet Jesus tells them to weep for yourselves. Weep for your children, for the time will come. By the way, the time coming is roughly 40 years later in their lifetime, in the lifetime of their children. For, in, uh, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say, they will cry out to the mountains, Fall on us, to the hills, cover us. This is a, um, a quote from Hosea chapter 10, I believe. And Jesus says this, For if they do these things when the tree is green then what, uh, what will happen when it's dry? Really crazy, really crazy little, um, little exchange here in conversation. And I want to give you just a little bit of context on this, if I can. See, in, in about 40 years, there's a guy, his name is Titus. He was a, a general. And he commanded four legions, four legions of Roman soldiers in 70 A.D. And he led these soldiers, and they surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Completely surrounded it um, for five months. They laid siege to the city. For five months they laid laid siege to the city until they broke into the wall. They came into the city. They burned. Uh, they tore down the temple, and they killed everybody in Jerusalem. They killed everybody. I, I want to give you a little more context on this. Okay, in ancient warfare and modern warfare, you can kill a lot of people, kill a lot of people relatively easy, relatively fast. You can. I mean, with the kinds of weaponry we have in our world today, you can kill a whole lot of people in very little time. In the ancient world, you use sticks, stones, swords, spears, bows, arrows. 
uh, you would have absolutely brutal battles. And sometimes there was great loss of life. So I looked this up because I was just curious. I looked this up and I looked up some of the largest, greatest battles of the ancient world. And one of the battles I read about is the Battle of Kalinga. Anybody here of the Battle of Kalinga? Okay. I mean, oh, Rich has. Wow. The Battle of Kalinga. It was 261 BC. It was in India. The Emperor Ashoka defeated the army of Kalinga, killing approximately 100,000 soldiers and civilians. Killed 100,000 people. That's a lot of people. Some of you, if you've read history, you may be more familiar with the Battle of Kanae. Rich, do you know the Battle of Kanae? Okay. You know Hannibal. Okay. Hannibal was leading the armies of Carthage in North Africa. This was in 216 B.C. I was a history major, by the way. Uh, he was leading, uh, he was leading the armies, uh, of, uh, uh, of Carthage against the armies of the Roman Republic. This is before the Roman Empire. Uh, Carthage defeated the Romans, killing around 70,000 Roman soldiers. I saw a video on this. It was really fascinating, uh, about how they did it. Uh, it, it was, uh, it was an amazing defeat. 100,000 people killed, 70,000 people killed. Do you know what modern-day historians tell us about what happened in Jerusalem? Do you know how many people were killed? These are modern-day historians tell us somewhere between 600,000 and 1 million people. Six to ten times more than the Battle of Kalinga. 600,000 to 1 million people. Josephus, the ancient uh, Jewish historian, was actually physically present there for the battle. And he estimated it at 1 million. Now, folks, until the 20th century, we've never seen anything like that. In, in the 20th century, in, in World War I, the, the Battle of the Somme, uh, British troops against German troops, roughly 300,000 soldiers were killed. Less than half of what was killed in, in Jerusalem. Uh, in World War II, uh, in the Battle of Leningrad, they estimate somewhere between 1 in uh, 1.5 million. And in the Battle of Stalingrad, it's estimated that there were between 1.7 and 2 million people. The point I want to make is this, is that until there was modern weaponry, we've never seen anything like this. When Jesus says, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves, because one day you and your children, 40 years from now, one day you and your children will cry out to the mountains and the hills to fall on us. Israel rejected her Messiah. and experience the judgment of God. Let's fast forward. Verse 32. Two other men. Jesus is on his way to the cross. Two other men, both criminals, were um, also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they, I, I've gone there. I've gone there. The place of the skull. It actually looks kind of like, if you look at pictures of it, it actually does kind of look almost like a skull. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him, they crucified Jesus there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. 
And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at Jesus. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and they mocked Jesus. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for what we are, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Underline those words. This man has done nothing wrong. Then the criminal said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God. Praised God. The centurion, seeing what happened, praised God. And said, Surely, This was a righteous man. And when the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breast and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching, watching these things. I want to highlight just a couple of things here. Real quick. In Luke 23, 4, Pilate said, I find no basis for a charge against this man. In verse 14, Pilate said, I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. In verse 15, Pilate said, He has done nothing to deserve death. Verse 22, Jesus says, what crime has this man committed? I I, I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. A condemned criminal says of Jesus, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
And finally, in verse 47, the centurion says, Surely, this was a righteous man. And the point, I think, that Luke is driving home for us, I, to me, seems obvious. The ruthless, cruel... Uh, Pilate had a reputation of being incredibly cruel, incredibly violent. In fact, later he gets dismissed as governor because he mishandled an affair involving some Samaritans. Um, a, a cruel, ruthless Roman governor, a condemned prisoner, and a Roman centurion all recognized and proclaimed what the, Jew, religious, the Jewish religious, religious leaders couldn't see. The innocence of Jesus. There are several things about Jesus that are incredibly important. One is that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. What that means that he is both fully God and fully man. But being conceived by the Spirit, he, he was without sin. The other thing that is, is hugely important is that Christ was crucified. But when he went to the cross... He was an innocent man. He had done nothing wrong. There was no reason for condemning him. He was entirely and completely innocent. And when Jesus... When Jesus went to the cross, he went there for you. And he went there for me. He went there with full and complete knowledge of everything that I have ever said, done, or thought. And he went to the cross knowing Everything about you, every word you've ever spoken, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought. And he went there willingly. He went there because of this incredible love he has for you and for me and lost people. Um, because Jesus was fully and completely innocent and because he went to the cross and he was raised again on the third day. Um, it, is understand, it is important to remember that he was raised from the dead. And it's even, it's also very important and I don't think Maybe I do a great job of, of proclaiming this as well as I should. And sometimes I think a lot of us as pastors, maybe we don't proclaim this as well as we should, is that Jesus didn't just rise from the dead. He ascended on 
the 40th day, he ascended, he appeared to his disciples with many convincing proofs. And on the 40th day, he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And all authority was given to him in heaven and on earth. But the point I want to drive home tonight, and this is what's really important for us to understand tonight, is that because of what Jesus did on the cross, he is an atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice of atonement for you and me. Can you say atonement? That may sound like a boring word. Without that boring word, you don't go to heaven and neither do I. See, what atonement means is it means that Jesus took full responsibility for your sin and my sin. That's what atonement means. That he took full responsibility for your sin and my sin. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross. So it wouldn't be poured out on you and on me. He is the atoning sacrifice. The Bible says this. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. You hear that? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. The sacrifice for you, for me. Through the shedding of His blood To be received by faith. Have you received that atoning sacrifice by faith for yourself? In 1 John chapter 2 verse 2, the Bible says of Jesus, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus came as a sacrifice for you and me. To be received by faith. Maybe pray for us and I'll turn it over to you. God, you are... You are the king of the universe. You are awesomely in charge. Your, your kingdom will endure for all generations. God, you are holy. You are righteous. You are good. And because you are holy, sin, sin must be atoned for. Because you are holy, sin has to be atoned for. There can only be wrath for sin. But because of your great love, atonement was made for sinners. As much as you hate sin, you love sinners. God, we are so grateful for Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for going to the cross for me, for us. To pay the price for our sin. To make us right with God. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Gary. Um, well, I'm going to say happy Good Friday because I know Easter's coming. Um, 
So on this special Friday night, we are going to consider what Jesus has done for us, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. When we reflect on what happened the Friday before Easter, we reflect on what Jesus did for us. He knowingly laid down his life for us. His blood was shed. His body was given. The sacrifice made. Jesus died, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us back to God. And when the last moment of the last hour of the last day of Jesus' life, he had completed God's mission and the message to mankind, to humankind. The greatest example of determination, perseverance, and obedient love that the world has ever seen. One of the last things that Jesus has said, and this is from the book of John, um, Jesus said when he was on the cross, one of the last things he said is, it is finished. What does that mean for you and for I? The truth is, we cannot add to something that is finished. We live in the grace and the mercy, the forgiveness and the freedom because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. The death of Jesus was once for all, but the love of God, which expressed itself supremely in this event, is the love that in which we live in today. To live the Christian life is letting the Spirit of Christ be the Spirit of Christ in us and through us today and every day. Christianity is not a religion of do, but of done. Jesus died in our place, and on the cross, It is done. And because it is done, we can be. Be complete in Christ. We uh, we can live in the done of the cross. We can seek to love God, love our neighbor, love one another, bring our brokenness to his forgiveness, bring our sins to that finished work on the cross so that we can be, be what? Be salt and light to a world in desperately need of a savior as we come tonight to the bread and to the cup of communion we come as followers of jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and because of that we live in the done nothing can be added to what jesus did so we can be we are called to be like him And we, too, have a work to do for God, a task to accomplish given to us by the Father that only we can finish. I want to read for you Colossians 1, 12 through 14. It says this, I pray that you will be grateful to God for letting you have part in what he has promised his people in the kingdom of light. God rescued us from the power of Satan and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son, who forgives our sins and sets us free. Good Friday. It's all Jesus. It's all it's all the cross. Let's remember what he has done and let's thank him. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, I'm going to have Matt play and I'm going to ask you just to take a moment and I'm going to ask you to thank him. Thank him for his love and his sacrifice, for his body shed, for the blood that flowed, for what he's done. 
And also, I want you to take a moment to reflect and search your heart and ask God to forgive you if there's anything in you that needs to be brought up to him in forgiveness so that when you come to the table and get the elements, that you're doing it with a pure heart, that I'm doing it with a pure heart. So right now, Matt's just going to play a little music on the guitar. I want you to spend just a couple of moments of reflection and gratitude for what he's done, and then we'll get the elements and we'll take communion together. So at this time, I'm going to ask you to um, go ahead and come forward to get the elements. The side you can come to where Sandy is on my right and this side over where Steve is on my left. Get the elements. And once you have it, if you just take a seat and open it up, and then we will actually take communion together. On the final night, Jesus was with his disciples. He took the bread and broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as you break this bread, you are remembering my death until I come for you. We are grateful for his body. And after Jesus took the cup... And on this Good Friday, we recognize the power of the blood of Jesus and the covenant that he has given to us by the shedding of his blood. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Lord, I just, we are grateful, um, grateful for your willingness and your amazing love. And we thank you for the blood that was shed. We thank you for paying the price and purchasing our freedom through the cross. It is finished. And we are forgiven. And we are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand together one more time. close out this evening with gratitude. All my words fall short. I got nothing new. How could I express all my I could sing these songs as I often do, but I sing, and you never do. So I throw up my hands, praise you again and again. For all that I have is a hallelujah, a hallelujah. And I know it's not much, I'm nothing else before a king, except for a heart singing hallelujah, I've got one response, I've got just one move, with my arms stretched wide, I will worship you, oh yes I will, so I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Come on, my soul. Oh, come on, my soul. 
Oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. One more time, church. Oh, come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me with your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Sunday is coming, and we look forward to having you back right here at 10 a.m. on Easter Sunday. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for worshiping with us. See you Sunday.